You're sitting in the press box with Granny and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Granny and Bischoff underscore Tyler. I'm still writing them off. Well, yesterday we were saying that if you really want to believe it, you have to believe that that team that lost both of those games in Colorado could win four out of five against the other team. And I just, I don't think they can. I don't either. Um, they were down two, nothing against the Rangers came back to win that series. They were down three, two against Toronto came back to win that series. So they have twice been down in a significant way in a playoff series and found a way to advance anyway. The big difference, I think, is that Colorado is far and away the best team in the NHL. And for Tampa Bay to beat them now three out of the last four games. Yeah, now they have to go three out of four. Still does not seem realistic. Because if you go first two games of this series at five on five, the expected goals were Colorado 4.2, Tampa 1.6. If you include power plays, it jumps up to Colorado 6.1 and Tampa 2.8. Uh, Colorado had overperformed its expected goals. They scored more goals than they were expected to, but they were still dominating Tampa Bay. Those first two games were not remotely close from a chances and shots standpoint. Last night, Tampa actually was better. If you look at just after two periods, because it was six to two, I don't think Tampa took like one shot in the entire third period, but like it was six to two after two periods. Tampa's expected goals was three. Colorado's was 2.3. Right, so Tampa was better last night. Not and, great, though. But I think that's the key. I don't there. think they were great. They were not headed. The score was head and shoulders above Colorado, but Tampa was not just completely right. skating around and through uh, Colorado last night. Like that was a much closer game than six, six to two. two. Yeah. And to give you this stat, last night was only the second time in the entire postseason that Colorado has not had a higher expected goals in a game than their opponent. St. Louis did it in the postseason. Yeah. St. Louis did it one time in one of the games that the blues won. I am expecting Colorado returns to being Colorado in the next, however many games this series goes. And that leads to them winning this in five, maybe six games because Colorado is better and if last night is as good as it gets for Tampa Bay, they weren't that much better no, they than weren't. Colorado. Do you watch? Uh, I t- had to text Ben Goats during the during the game watching this. When you see, I think they were six of nine at one point. How good Colorado's power play is? Does it just bring you back to how bad the Knights are? <laughs> I mean, they are. And look, that's and people are going to say that's unfair because the Knights had all these injuries. You had Keegan Colasar in the power play. You had all kinds of weird stuff. But man, Colorado, and I know they have talent. You see a power play like that, and you're like, boy, that is different. Well, I forget the I forget what the number was, but going into last night, Tampa was something like one of eighteen on the power, on their last eighteen Tampa power was. plays. Yeah, Tampa's yeah. been struggling yeah. on it too. But it's, Colorado, it's it's bizarre how many teams go into massive power play slumps in the postseason. Like the the Golden Knights are not the only team to do that. Teams go like the the Rangers, or no, it was the Hurricanes. Who won a series without scoring a power play goal? It was the Panthers. The Panthers. They, they went like 24 or something like right. that in the playoffs. They won a series without scoring the a power, power play, play goal. goal. Yeah, like it's crazy Capitals. that this happens to teams. And in some cases, they still end up winning. But yeah, to be and to put that into perspective for Colorado to basically be scoring on every other power play they get. It's is, amazing. It's is insane. And it. You know, Tampa keeps committing penalties. They committed some last night, but if Tampa keeps committing penalties, 
you might be handing Colorado a goal or two every right. single game, depending right. on how many power play chances you give them. I have a question slash complaint for you. Colorado scored first last night, but the goal got taken away after Tampa challenged right. it, right? My, so they reviewed for offsides, and when Tampa tried to clear the puck, it looked like the puck didn't come out of the offensive zone, but on replay, the puck did come out past the blue line, so the goal didn't count because it was an offside play. My question and complaint here is while they're showing replays on ESPN, while the review is going on, the rules expert comes on for ESPN and is sort of walking through the play. Kind of like Steve Jaffe does for and, basketball. Yeah. And he says on there, now remember in Toronto, where they're reviewing the play, in Toronto, they have a different view where they can look right down the blue line. And they've got, we, we don't have that view, but in Toronto, they've got alternate camera angles. Why on earth do we not get to see these yeah. camera angles? Why is that not a part of ESPN's production? Why is there a camera angle exist that ESPN doesn't show? Wouldn't you think they'd want us to see every camera angle? I would angle? think so. Just I so would... when they make the decision, like, oh, okay. Yeah, I would saw think the same thing you would did. want your television audience to be like, oh, that, that's that clearly that why offsides. they made that decision. Right. Now, you could tell from the camera angles that we saw, but I just don't understand. Yeah, under you could tell it went by the blue right. line. I just don't understand why there would be a camera angle that ESPN wouldn't have access to. I don't know if that's an ESPN flaw where they just were like, yeah, we don't want that one. Or if that's some weird NHL thing where, Oh, we can't give the TV crew that look like, I don't get it. I don't understand why there would be I mean, camera angles. I would think ESPN wants everything Toronto has. Right. And I, and in exactly in that situation, if there, if there was one camera angle and it was down the blue line yeah. that showed whether that was onside or not, and for some reason, ESPN didn't have it, but they overruled the call and ESPN's broadcast like, well, we can't see it on any of these angles. We'd be looking and saying, what the hell was that call right. for? I mean, that it. I did not comprehend why there would be an angle that they could not use on TV. Did not get it. I was actually at McKenzie River last night, so I didn't. I wasn't hearing it. I was watching it. So they actually said we don't have the angles Toronto has. Yeah, well, yeah. The the rules expert came on and he was like, "Remember, they've got more angles in more camera angles in the replay room in Toronto, and one of them is apparently straight down the blue line, whereas we're getting like the overhead sky cam. Where I saw the replay, you could still see though. Yeah. why they ruled how they did. Yeah, but they came on and they were ma they made it explicitly clear like they've got more angles than we do, and I'm like, why? Why on earth would that? Why? Why right. if I, if I'm ESPN and I'm hearing that, I'd be like, wait a minute, why don't we have yeah. that angle? What are we doing here? We've paid a lot of money. Right, our broadcast is inferior because you're sitting here saying, ah. Oh, yeah, here's a replay, but none of this matters because they're looking at a different replay in, in Toronto. I wonder if, now, my thought process is probably voided based on what you're saying, but I wonder if it's the arena because I remember earlier in the playoffs when the same thing happened in, I believe it was Colorado's second series. I think it was against the Blues. They scored a goal that was trying to be cleared. It went a foot behind the blue line. They brought it in, scored, reviewed, and it the goal counted, but there was right down the blue line camera angle. And they didn't overturn it? No. They huh. didn't overturn it. You could clearly see. That's why people were super angry. I'll try and find the exact game, well, but it was the first goal of the game, and that's the one where they won. It was like 7-1 to one or 7-2, something like that. I mean, do you think they changed it mid-playoffs? or it's always? I would think it's always been this way. I don't know. I have no so idea. So because of one thing like that, they might have changed it on the angles? Maybe. 
I don't know. It's just, it's stupid. Like, dude, and to your question about arenas, does every arena have a camera down the blue line? I can't imagine why you wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the things yeah. you can go review. Did the puck clear the blue line to create an offsides, or did a guy? Well, you know they do if, the, if if Toronto has it, right? So, then but, you know they but does it. every arena like is it just a Tampa Bay thing, oh. or does every arena have this? And if they don't, why the hell wouldn't they? Like, yeah. I feel like that's an easy, obvious thing Especially to put in for there. offsides calls. Right, that's one of the main things that. And did the puck cross the line? Those right. are like the two things you can review to see is the puck across a certain line. You should have whatever camera right. there. So that's it. But it reminds me in the uh, World Cup qualifying for CONCACAF, <laughs> there was no VAR. There was no replay review for the first like seven or eight games of qualifying. And the reason that CONCACAF gave was that like, Honduras and El Salvador didn't have the, uh, they didn't have a way to support a replay review room. So we just, they just were not going to have replay in any qualifier. So like when we played Canada, right? Both countries capable of having VAR, but CONCACAF said, nope, you can't have it because when Honduras plays, they can't have VAR. So we're not going to have it for any of our games. The second half of qualifying they had VAR because they went in and put in whatever technology right, they right, needed right. for Honduras and El Salvador to, to have, have VAR. But like if I'm if I'm the United States, I'm probably paying for VAR to go yes. into Honduras yeah. and El Salvador. Yeah. I'm like, how much does it cost yeah. to put up some damn monitors in a room? We'll pay for it. Like TVs aren't that expensive. Let's get the I it was one of the funniest things. It was like, nope. No VAR because we can't have it in El Salvador. So United States, sorry. We know you've got it all set up, ready to go. But if there's a bad call, you just have to live with it. And these were important games. They're World Cup qualifiers. We almost got screwed against uh, Jamaica. Jamaica should have had two red cards in the first, like, 15 minutes of that game. And the ref didn't call either one. Had VAR been in place, both guys, I'm confident, would have gotten red cards. We ended up winning the game anyways. But, like... If they had, lo- if the United States had like lost that or something, we'd have looked back and said, "Well, if they had VAR the whole time, <laughs> would, they would they would have played with nine guys for eighty minutes." So yeah, the the play I was thinking of, uh, the puck didn't come out, but it was um, it was the first game against Nashville, and the Avalanche Makar was bringing the puck in, and he crossed the blue line when his teammate was about a foot and a half offsides. And they called okay. it a good goal, and it was right before the end of the period, with like ten seconds left. Yeah, seven to one. And and this <laughs> this view is pretty pretty good down the blue line. He's offsides. Yeah, <laughs> and that was called a good goal. I think they should ban offsides in hockey. Just go if you want to cherry pick, cherry pick. Who cares? That'd be hilarious having someone just sitting the down. Fi- there. The, the, the ice is pretty funny. The ice is not that big. Like it's. I think they should ban offsides. You should be allowed to be offside in hockey. It should be perfectly legal. That'd be actually. I don't funny. even think it would change. They would just change some uh, entering the zone plays. I don't even think it would change that much. Well, theoretically, if you had somebody who just stood on the other side of the ice. It would either be five on four or four on yeah. four the entire game. Yeah, yeah. but nobody yeah. would do that. You can do that in basketball and nobody does it. Well, like LaMelo Ball's AAU team did it, but nobody in the NHL is going to just say, <laughs> yeah, we'll defend with four and leave Alex Ovechkin down there to rocket it in once we get it to him. The one thing that I will say, the one part of offsides I do like is the way it was enforced last night. Once you get into the offensive zone, you can't come back out. 
I do like that okay. part of offsides. But when we're take when we're taking away transition chances because right. this he's, guy he's six this, inches off, right? That to me is stupid. That takes away a fun part of the game. That's that like transition chances are the yes. most fun thing. But I if it, if you're in the offensive zone and it comes out, okay, you've got to clear it. But if this guy just beat the puck in by a foot, who cares? That's fun. So ban it. Make it like half court in basketball, right? Once you get it past half court or the blue line in this, then you case, can't go back. You can't if you come out. If you come back, you, you can. Do. Everybody's got to clear out, and right, then you can go right. back in. But yeah, that would be my way to do it. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's briefs. Bischoff's briefs. Throwing out random numbers authoritatively is the best way to pass as a baseball expert. Bischoff's briefs. By the way, it's commendable how many baseball players care so deeply about the Equal Rights Amendment. Bischoff's briefs. Somebody get me some antibiotics because that ball is gonorrhea. Bischoff's briefs. All right, first part of Bischoff's briefs today is... um. Scorekeeping intrigue, which I know. Great radio. Yesterday in the Rays-Yankees game, uh, going into the eighth inning, the Yankees had a 2-0 lead. Clay Holmes came in to pitch, and Clay Holmes gave up two runs. So game was tied 2-2. Top of the ninth, the Yankees scored two runs to take the lead, and then Wandy Peralta came into the game and closed out the ninth inning to for, for the Yankees to win the game 4-2. Normally... Clay Holmes would be given the win despite giving up two runs. And Wendy Peralta, who came on in the ninth with a two-run lead, would be given the save. Save. But the official scorer in Tampa gave Wandy Peralta the win, and nobody got a save. And according to MLB rules, the official scorer can decide that even though Clay Holmes would normally get the win, he can decide if the pitcher was ineffective to not award that pitcher a win. So... That's what the official scorer did. He said, "I'm not so giving." It's totally a, subjective. He basically said, "I'm not giving a poorly. win to the guy that gave that gave up two runs in the eighth inning. I'm going to give it to the guy who closed out the game, and therefore there was no save awarded last night, just a win." Okay, I had no idea that was possible. Apparently, um, it's the I, first I've ever heard that they have subjective ability to look at a guy and say, "I don't think yeah. he was good enough." So, if the starting pitcher say does not throw five innings. Was this Cole flirting with the no hitter? Yeah, Cole almost threw a no hitter, then gave up the no hitter, and then they They, gave up the lead, came back and won. But you do know that like if a starter doesn't go five innings, the starter can't get the win. So like if a starter pitched four, leaves the game, his team is up seven to two, and they go on to win the game. Right, he can't get it. The official score just picks a reliever Mm -hmm. and gives that guy the win, whoever he thinks was best. This is, I think, the same general premise, but basically saying that pitcher sucked too much to get a win. So I'm not giving him the win, <laughs> which is funny to me. It's great. So yeah, no uh, win for Clay Holmes, even though I think 29 other official scorekeepers probably would have given Clay Holmes the win last and night. And then the save. Yeah. And then Wandy Peralta, the save. So he gave Peralta the win. Yep. And no save. Despite it being a save opportunity. Well, Peralta for... probably went and said, Hey, I got something out of it. Yeah. Do you think he wants to, I wonder what his kind con- of, I, I wonder if... save. I wonder if he has a clause in his contract. I so think many, he went to save. So many saves or you yeah. get a so a bonus. I'd be mad. I'd be calling the Tampa scorekeeper saying, no, 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 no. 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 you got to change this. Well, right I would call now. him and say, I don't even care if you give somebody a win. <laughs> give, <laughs> no, give nobody a win. I just want the save because of my contract is however many saves I get. Go back and give it to Garrett Cole. Give him the win yeah. instead. All right. Bischoff's briefs today, though. I want to know if you think that this kid got a good deal. Uh, Sunday Night Baseball. 
16-year-old kid caught J.J. Matajevic's first career home run ball. And the Astros found the kid, and they negotiated with him to get the ball from him. What this 16-year-old initially got, he got six tickets to an Astros game, plus six on-field passes for batting practice, and a Jose Altuve-signed baseball. Apparently, this kid asked for a signed Justin Verlander jersey, but the Astros said no. Then he asked for a signed Yuli Gurriel jersey. The Astros also said no. Eventually, though, the Astros came back and ended up giving him a signed Justin Verlander jersey. So he got an Altuve signed ball, Verlander signed jersey, six tickets to a game, six on-field passes for batting practice. Do you think he did well? I think he did well to hold out for the really the one thing he really wanted. Well, he didn't hold out for it. Here's what happened. So he was going to go and take it even if he didn't get a Verlander he, jersey? He agreed to tickets, batting practice, and the Altuve and, ball. And the ball? Uh, Buster Olney was the sideline reporter for ESPN, went and interviewed the kid. And the kid was like, well, I asked for a Verlander jersey. They said no. I asked for a Gurriel jersey. They said no. I believe what happened here is the Astros were like, oh, we PR. look bad. We PR, look bad yeah, right yeah. now. We better get him the Verlander jersey. Right. And so they eventually added on the Verlander jersey after it was all uh, agreed to. Uh, now, either A, the Astros are just ridiculous and wouldn't give the kid a Verlander jersey. What I'm guessing happened here is they have like a collection of signed stuff. And yeah. that and they were like, We'll give you and they was like, We'll give you something from this collection. And the kid wanted a Verlander jersey. And they're like, Well, we don't have a Verlander jersey in here, so You'll have to pick something else as what I'm assuming happened. And then once ESPN was like, oh, they didn't give him the Verlander Jersey. They went and got Justin Verlander and said, Hey, sign <laughs> Can this you jersey, sign this jersey for this kid. Cause he did. Cause it, it said nice catch on it. So Verlander signed it. I'm assuming right then on the spot. So he ended up getting all that. So good deal or not. Personally, I think it's a great deal. However, I think that kid was being very greedy. Really? really? Absolutely. Really? You're okay. getting, you caught. How good is the prospect supposed okay. to be? Exactly. So I think that's the key detail here. Is this guy going to be a Hall of Famer? No. 26-year-old rookie who's probably oh. going to be in AAA next month. And exactly. I thought he got a great deal. So I think that's the key here. It, it was not like some record-breaking home guy run. Could be... Right. It was just a guy who's up from AAA because their shortstop's on the IL at the moment. Hit his first career home run. Then I think it was a good deal. I think I think it was a good deal from that standpoint yeah. as well. Had it been a like, remember the guy that t- caught Tom Brady's what was it, five hundredth touchdown pass or whatever, and Brady right. wanted it. Like that was like a career defining type moment thing that you can hold out for more on. I think he got a good deal given that it was JJ Matavjevic right. who uh, is only in the majors because the guy's injured and might not be back if the Astros were to stay healthy the rest of the way. I do think he should have asked for more tickets than just one game. So the six and the six batting practices is just one game. Yeah. I do think he should have asked for like season tickets or more than. Okay. I'll say this. Depends on where he lives. Like if he lives in Houston, he should have asked for season tickets. And he goes tickets. to a lot of games anyway. Right. He should have asked for season tickets. Now, like if it's me, like I traveled to the Astros game from Las Vegas, season tickets aren't going to do me that much good. Right. So one set or whatever would be fine. If he lives somewhere in Houston, I think he should have asked for season tickets or at least like, give me like a mini, mini season ticket or package whatever, where I get to go to 15 games or right. something like that, which to them, right. Who's nothing. Yeah. 
I personally don't care about the sign stuff. Like I would not have asked for a signed ball or Jersey. I would have asked for like, give me $300 to the team store. Like I would rather go buy unsigned stuff than a signed Jersey. That's my point. Ball. If I did it, I'm not a Jersey guy. This sounds weird. I'd rather have Verlander not sign it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd rather have a Verlander jersey. I just agree. Have a Verlander I jersey. One hundred percent agree. I because I don't I, want signed stuff. On right. It. I'm not your son and want fake autographs on stuff or real autographs on stuff. But like, I just I don't know autographs on stuff. I don't like. I wouldn't want to wear that more than I'd want to wear if I right. had nothing on it. I'd wear the jersey a lot. Well, if you get a signed Verlander jersey or the signed Altuve ball, yeah. you, you're buying a case and putting it up right. on a wall or something, which is fine. I mean, that's fine. But I. Not as big of a fan. I think here's the one thing that I think he actually missed out on. If I were him, I caught J.J. Matajevich's first ever home run ball. I would have asked to take a picture with J.J. Matajevich and the ball. Like me giving him the ball. Because here's the thing. That is probably going to be a top five moment in J.J. Matajevich's life. And it might end up being a top five moment in this 16-year-old kid's life. Don't want to make it sound like his life's going to be terrible, but... He caught a home run ball, was on TV for like three innings of this game, and got to and negotiate. And was he interviewed by stuff. Buster Olney? Yeah, and like that, this might end up being a top five moment of both the kid and the players' lives. I would have wanted to take well, a picture. Probably JJ. We, yeah. He's twenty six and just coming up. So <laughs> I would have wanted to take a picture. I would have been like, yeah, I want to, I want to, you know, hold the ball, give him the ball, take a picture, remember that with a picture. I think that would have been, even though it's JJ so, Matajevich, and who cares? I think that would have been a cool like way to remember. What happens? So when this happens, I'd love to know who they go to him immediately because yeah. they don't want to lose the ball. Oh, ESPN who's, ESPN showed this more than the game. They had this on for camera the, the Astros game. who go to him right away. Who's negotiating? I don't know. Their department? I don't know. Do they, they take the kid? They say, "Come with us." No, they did it yeah. all. ESPN had this thing on camera like the entire time. They did it all like in his seat. So someone's sitting there right there yeah, saying, someone, yes, like, no, walked we can't up to do him that. And was like, you could see the conversation going on or whatever. So, and yeah. the kid off the top of his head was saying these things. I guess we, we did not have him mic'd up for the actual negotiation. I mean, we just got a, it's kind of cool to think about that. Like off the top of his head, he's like, now nah, this is what I want. Yeah. I mean, it's happened enough at this point that I feel like if it happened to me, I'd immediately be like ready to go being like, yep, I know what I'm going to ask for when they come trying to get this ball. But I don't know if the 16-year-old had that thought before. I'm sure they walked up to him and said, well, he said they came up and said, like, you know, hey, what do you want? Blah, blah, blah. So I'm sure it was like, here's what we have or what a Verlander signed jersey. So, yeah. So someone had to go and okay that with a higher up with a boss because they came back to the kid. Unless, unless Unless that guy had, man or woman, I don't know who it was, had the power to negotiate. I'm thinking it's happened enough in the history of sports that you sort of have some sort of plan going in where like you come down to negotiate with this kid and you're like, okay, we can give so many tickets. We have this, uh, merchandise to give away. Right. Like I imagine there's some sort of pre-planned. This is what we can offer. Whereas the kid asks for like, well, I want season tickets. No, we can't do season tickets or whatever. Like they, they know what they can say no to and what they can say yes to going in would be my guess. And they're also like, come on kid. It's JJ Matajevich. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> what if what if that was actually caught on ESPN? And it was an Astros employee, dude. It's JJ. Dude, come on, this is, this you don't even know how to say this guy's last name. You didn't know who he was before no. he just hit this home run. Yeah, and he, down and he's going. Be, he's going to be called down tomorrow. He's going back bat. <laughs> come on. All right, coming up next, Ryan Wallace joins the show. This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour. 
This is the VGK Update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at RyanHockeyGuy. I'm out. Ryan, will you be watching Philadelphia Flyer press conferences throughout the year? Yes. <laughs> How long is he going to last in Philadelphia? I feel like Tortorella in Philadelphia is either going to be a perfect match or an absolute disaster. Well, I mean, if you look at John Tortorella's history, right? Like you're talking about a coach that is shelf life about three and a half to four seasons. I think that we're looking at a four-year contract with John Tortorella. So he'll probably make it to about midway point of year number three, I think, before the message grows stale. And it's just a question of whether or not they move on from John Tortorella in season or they wait until he finishes out his contract. I'll be honest with you. I think that he's the perfect fit for what the Flyers need. Um, but by no means do I think John Tortorella is going to turn the Philadelphia Flyers into Stanley Cup contenders. Return to the playoffs, maybe. Cup contenders, absolutely not. I'm almost wishing he hadn't been in New York because the Philly media is going to be terrific with him, but he's kind of been prepped, I think, being in New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in a sense, but I think that, you know, John Tortorella is one of those coaches that is, is, stands firm in his convictions and he's not afraid to bench star players. Now Philadelphia has to get some star players for him to be able to bench them, but uh, you know, aside from that, I think it's going to be explosive. Like there will be times where John Tortorella is going to send a message to a young player or a star player, and it is going to anger the Philadelphia media, and it is going to be contentious. And I cannot wait for it. Uh, it's been basically a week since Bruce Cassidy has been hired by the Golden Knights. Uh, do you have any new thoughts on it? Like, has anything jumped out to you beyond the first couple of days about Bruce Cassidy being the next head coach of the Golden Knights? Uh, not so much. I- I'm really curious about the power play. I think that obviously the power play is one of the areas where the Golden Knights needed to focus their attention in the off season and going into next year. Like that's an obvious one. But I-, I was, you know, I was talking yesterday on the air, and it kind of something came to me that I think is pretty interesting, and maybe is a a talking point we haven't really gotten into just yet, and that is. Bruce Cassidy, introductory press conference, talking about the ability or the need for creativity in the offensive zone. If you go back to and listen to some of the player exit interviews this season, they talked about you know, playing within a more rigid structure and, and not really having those moments of creativity in the offensive zone, and, and that being something that they longed for, something that they were hopeful for. So more so uh, about you know, Pete DeBoer, his tenure, and maybe what went wrong or what led to the decision-making, I think, is coming through in some of the comments from Bruce Cassidy in his introductory press conference and echoing what the players were looking for at the end-of-year media availability, and that's a little bit more freedom in the offensive zone. Uh, More freedom in the offensive zone, but how did you take his uh, comments, like the Jack Eichel comment? Um, I thought that was interesting. He threw it in there, you know, you got to learn how to win. Um, we know in Boston, you know, the younger players at the end maybe weren't happy with his message. Uh, and this is a veteran locker room, so that might change. But how did you kind of uh, take his kind of straightforward approach that obviously they're going to get, and it really doesn't matter who your name is? Yeah, I mean, it, you're, you know, Jack Eichel is going to get a lot of leeway, right? Like Bruce Cassidy talked about some players having more rope than others, and I think Jack Eichel is the type of player that's going to get that regardless. But the fact of the matter is there's going to be 
need to be attention to detail defensively. That's what Bruce Cassidy is also known for. As much as special teams has been really good under him, he's been great at getting teams to not give up a lot of chances and not give up a lot of goals. So Jack Eichel is going to have to be a player bought into that. I think that he will be. I just think that you know there's been so much pressure on Jack his entire career to be the only driver of offense, and you could make the argument the same thing happened when he was when he was finally healthy enough to play for the Golden Knights because everyone went out of the lineup and the, and the only answer offensively was Jack Eichel. So if you give him a supporting cast and you give him a little bit more responsibility defensively, I think that he's the type of player that's got a lot of pride in his game that wants to win and he'll buy into that. Who goes further next season, Pete DeBoer with the Stars or the Golden Knights? Oh, uh, that's a really interesting question because as much as I think Bruce Cassidy is kind of a perfect fit for this iteration of where the Golden Knights are, I feel the exact same way about Pete DeBoer in Dallas. Like, frankly, that was a move that I said should have happened about two or three days after Pete DeBoer was let go, and yet here we are, finally, it's happening. Um, I just don't think Dallas is very good. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's weird, right? Like, I think that, you know, they've got all the makings of being a good team. They've got really good defensemen. Uh, Certainly Joe Pavelski reunited with Pete DeBoer is going to be magic. And then you you know, you know look at what happened in the playoffs this year and you know Jake Ottinger kind of taking the next step. Is he going to be the guy of the future? Is Pete going to want somebody that's a little bit more veteran savvy? I don't know. But, I, I mean, my money is right now on the Vegas Golden Knights because I think they have more pieces to the puzzle to go on a deep run than Dallas Stars do. Daddy's gone. We're uh, not happy about that. Uh, Bummer. Yeah. Well. Uh, by the way, I retweeted the other day that that was an amazing response by the by Anaheim. Uh, you sure? <laughs> that, that, I mean, they, that was absolutely incredible. Um, but have you come to any conclusions in your mind of what they do next, uh, or some of the names that might be involved? I saw something on Twitter. I don't know if I believed it or not that involved William Carlson. Uh, have you come to any conclusions on what they have to do next to you know uh, adhere to the cap? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly the, the, the Donoff trade helps them in trying to determine what they can or if they can re-sign Riley Smith. I think that's kind of the big question looming over the Vegas Golden Knights right now. Like, if they don't re-sign Riley Smith, then, you know, you've got $5 million to work with in signing some of your restricted free agents and Nick Waugh, who's going to be due for a raise, Nick Haig, who's probably due for a raise, King Colasar, who I think you can get done with a relatively cheap, cheap bridge deal. But there are certainly questions to be to be had there for the Golden Knights and what they're going to do with that money. If they end up re-signing Riley Smith, then certainly more money has to move out anyway. Um, I I don't I don't know. Like to me, the position of strength for the Golden Knights right now is down the middle. When you look at the centers on this team, you've got Jack Eichel, you've got Chandler Stevenson, you've got William Carlson, you've got Nick Waugh, and again. He'll be due for a raise, but it's not going to be a raise rivaling what William Carlson is making. And then I think you can make the argument that on the wings is where the Golden Knights are a little bit thin. So to me, re-signing Riley Smith and looking at your center depth, possibly moving a center to allow for more flexibility on the wing, that might be the direction the Golden Knights go. Um, I'm not really sure, but I do believe there's one more move, at least one more move, that has to happen for the Golden Knights to get done what they need to get done in the offseason. Before we let you go, was last night an anomaly or a sign that we're going to have an actual series between Tampa and Colorado? 
I don't know. Like every time I think Tampa's dead in the water, they, they're just not. Um, it'll be real interesting to see how Colorado responds. Like they've lost just three games so far in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but that's the first time they, they kind of got their, their butts handed to them. So I'm curious to see how they respond in game four. As it goes with Tampa, and as I've said multiple times, they are not out until the final buzzer horns on a, on the fourth game and seven that they lose. I would not be shocked or surprised if Colorado comes back and they absolutely light up the Tampa Bay Lightning. I wouldn't be surprised if Tampa rolls into game four and does exactly what they did to Colorado. Nothing in this series, however it goes, whatever direction, is really going to surprise me because I think Colorado is really, really good, and I think Tampa just will not die. Oh, uh, actually, I have one more thing for you. Um, is it bad that on Father's Day you had to grill? No. no I like grilling. Okay. I like cooking. Right. Okay. Yeah, I feel like somebody right. else should be doing that for you on Father's Day. Just saying. No, no. No, that, that's, 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 you know, that's something that I, I draw enjoyment from. So, like, we had a really good day on Father's Day. It was nice. It was fun. Grilling is good. Well, you can be me. You walk out in the... Uh... 20-something-year-old's writing the card as you speak. Like, uh, what are you doing? He goes, hold, he, hold on just a few minutes. <laughs> go back. And go, go back. Go back to bed. What are you doing up? I've still got to get this done. <laughs> All right. He's Ryan Wallace. Catch him on the VGK Insider Show over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Ryan, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. It. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Write the card. the card. Yeah. Go back. Go back. Why are you up? <laughs> uh, that is good. <laughs> yeah. That is good. You, have you ever done the sign the card in the car on the way to some event or somebody's party or birthday? I have not done that. Yeah. You? We've done that before, definitely. And okay. here, here's the problem. My girlfriend loves to buy cards for people for whatever, and we always have the card. We just procrastinate actually, actually writing, writing the card until right before. But the, like, the car, her Father's Day card sat on our counter in our kitchen for like 10 days before Father's Day. She forgot to take it over on Father's Day, so she took it over yesterday. <laughs> he forgot to take his card over on the actual day? On the actual day, yeah. We went over and saw him, had dinner or whatever, but forgot to take the card. <laughs> so had the card for like 10 days, forgot to actually take Did it Did she tell him when she day. got over there? Uh, I think so, yeah. I forgot the card. Forgot the card. It's okay. But they had gotten, there was a present already involved, so it's not like there was nothing. Cards are stupid. Don't let me, don't let me get on my rant against cards. All right, we got to give something else away. What do we got? Aces tickets. If you want to go see the Las Vegas Aces, we got a four-pack of tickets in the fan zone. Thanks to West Star Credit Union and Finley Volkswagen Henderson. The Aces take on the Chicago Sky tonight at Michelob Ultra Arena at Mandalay Bay. So if you want four tickets to go see the Aces tonight, 702-364-1100 is the phone number. Be caller number nine, and you want a pair of tickets to see the Aces take on the Sky tonight, 702-364-1100. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. So Deshaun Watson has settled with 20 of 24 women that have brought cases against him uh, revolving around sexual assault and sexual misconduct while getting massages. Uh, He has settled with 20. The statement from his lawyer today says that these are going to be private and that they will not discuss them after today. Um, here's a tweet though, from May 13th from Ian Rappaport quoting Deshaun Watson's lawyer 
who said there will be no settlement unless the terms are made public and all participants are allowed to speak in their own defense at all times. A month later, Deshaun Watson settled privately with 20 no of disclosures of anything. Women. Yeah. So a month ago, Deshaun's Wat- Deshaun Watson's lawyer was trying to tell everybody, well, we're not settling unless everything is public. And now they're settling privately with nothing being public. Do you think it's because of the amount he had to settle for? I'm speculating that, yes, that they just overwhelmed them with so much money that made, that made them say yes, right? I mean, right. That's right. And, yeah. and the more money he had to settle for, essentially, people look at that as the more guilty you are. Right. You but, start sending millions to all of them. I mean, yeah. you just you got $250 million guaranteed. So you start sending, you know, however much you'd send to each woman. Uh, and if it's kind of an exorbitant number when you see it, you're like, well, I mean, if you're going to do that. That's that's kind of what I'm guessing, that there was a ridiculous amount of money that he offered, and 20 of the 24 said, okay, yeah. that that changes my life. Like, I'll I'll stop bringing this up. I'll stop right. talking about it. But there are four the that holdouts. said, that <laughs> like, said yeah, no, not this, enough. this isn't about the money or whatever. This, is, this isn't what this is about. Um, I know the first, uh, I can't remember who just tweeted it, but the first woman, Ashley Solis, she is one of the four that did not settle. Okay. Uh, but Danny, you just had a tweet from Albert Breer saying that he expects them all to be settled. Yeah. So uh, I'll see if I can find it, but it was um, in reference to how the NFLPA is looking at the situation. And he said it should be taken care of by camp. I'll see if I can find it real quick. So that would that would imply that they're they'll settle the other four. And that would he's, imply that they're he's still getting suspended. Yes. Oh, I, yeah, I don't think that's going to be much of a question. There's already been a quote um, that Adam Schefter tweeted out from the, from somebody within the NFL that said, this has nothing to, this does not impact our investigation and ultimate discipline for Deshaun Watson. So actually I, I guess I misread it. I think it's based on, he's talking about a suspension for Watson. The tweet says the NFL NFLPA and arbitrator had the June 30th deadline for pretrial discovery circled as one to get past on their decision timeline. With settlements in place, the date becomes less relevant and real closure more realistic. I'd expect a Deshaun Watson decision before camp. Oh, okay. So All maybe right. there okay. won't be settlements on the other four. Um, By the time on, they suspend them. Right. So the NFL might come in and suspend him tomorrow Regardless. or right. before camp starts. Right. And those other four will could just hang out there. And like we've talked about it before. These cases won't be heard if they don't get settled. They won't be heard by a court until after the football season. It's the timeline is sometime next year that they won't be heard. So if there's four or any that don't settle, these will still be hanging over Deshaun Watson. So I'm guessing there's going to be at least one that doesn't settle the entire time. Maybe it's the first girl. Yeah, there's going to be at least one that goes all the way. And the uh, their training camp opens July 27th. Okay. So just over a month. Yeah, All right. Basically a month. All right. So Deshaun Watson, if you missed it this morning, he uh, has settled with 20 of the 24 women that have sued him uh, over sexual assault and sexual misconduct, which uh, takes out a significant chunk of those going to court, but still leaves four left that could end up going to court. Uh, the NFL has not made any sort of decision on this. and Odds are the money's huge, 
And odds are, does the money get out? 20, 20, 20 settlements, and I, they obviously had to sign NDAs, but 20 settlements is a lot. I'm guessing for that something in, not to get I'm out. I'm guessing that NDA says if the amount of money we paid you goes public, you don't get that amount of money. Oh, I'm sure it does. Is it's what just I'm guessing. Tw- 20, 20 people talking about how much they got. Just not that they would say it, but that someone would say it about how much she had to pay. Man. If if you if you paid me that much money and I had an NDA that said don't talk about it, right. I'm not telling anybody. I'm not even telling my right. fiance. Nope. Yeah, just uh, don't worry about it. Just it's in the bank account. Don't worry about it. Is that I, a new Lexus? I, I'm not telling what? anybody. I'm like, what money? Who's Deshaun Watson? Never heard of him.